Welcome to the audio commentary track for the release of Moonstalker. And uh, joining us today on this audio commentary are producer Sally O'Rourke. Sorry, it'll take Sally Smith on the screen. Mike and I got married a couple months after this movie was made. And actress Kelly Mullis. Hello there. I play the role of Tracy in this film. Thank you for joining us. And uh, Jolene, you had a name change also. Yes, Jolene Tropp, Mullins now, and I play Vera, the mother to uh, the beautiful Tracy and Mikey, and my husband Harry was in there. And we're also joined by John Streisick. John, what was your role on this film? Uh, I think Crescent. I'm not sure. No, I, I think I'm the line producer, basically. Uh, I go way back with Mike and Sally. In fact, they gave me the first job I ever had in uh, Hollywood. It was as a sound editor on a movie called uh, The Hideous Sun Demon, the special edition. <laughs> and that was like back in 80, 83, maybe, Sally? Yeah, that was the one that was shot by Kaminsky, right? Yeah, yeah. And so my, my kind of big contribution to this well I was always great friends with Mike and Sally Mike work you know and uh so I was doing like four seasons of Dark Side so I knew some technical people and uh, I also knew Mike from Chicago Mike Goy and I kind of put these guys together to shoot this thing and the rest is vinegar syndrome history <laughs> yeah and my my name is Michael Goy this is the uh, first movie I I photographed as a cinematographer as you can see from the images on the screen right now we were trying to emulate John Carpenter's Halloween in terms of a long unbroken take to to open the movie uh, but we were trying to do it with even fewer resources than John Carpenter had for for his movie and Sally you want to tell us who this is in this scene uh, oh that's Kelly uh, my stepdaughter. <laughs> Kelly, your stepdaughter, who who was the star of, of uh, your previous movie, uh, Deadly Love. You didn't find that negative. <laughs> yes, I did. You did? Really? Oh, my God. Also, uh, I, I would like to say uh, Deadly Love, the uh, actual name is Bloody Buddy. They always change Mike's titles. Like, this one no, is Camper Stamper. They Stamper, He yeah. came up with better titles, I thought. So uh, let me ask uh, Jolene, uh, you know, how did you come to be uh, cast in this movie? What, how did all that work out? Well, I had recently moved to Los Angeles from Dallas and I um, answered an audition notice about it and went in and read for it. It was a lot of fun. A lot of it was improv. Some of it was the script. Um, and lo and behold, about a month later, I got the wonderful call that I'd gotten the part and then it was filming in Reno, so flew out there. And then that's when I started meeting all these fabulous people to work with. Uh, Kelly, who played my daughter, Ron Colley, who played my son, and um, Mr. Abernethy, who played my husband, Harry, plus Michael and Michael O'Rourke and his lovely like Sally and John. I have to tell you, for my first film movie experience, it was absolutely, a dream come true. Everybody was so nice. 
and helpful and the learning curve was fabulous. The only thing was the weather was so cold. I don't think I've ever been that cold in my entire life, but everybody just made it as much as comfortable as they could. So, but we had fun and still friends here and there to today. So it was a lot of fun. Yeah, you could see the weather in in this scene here. <laughs> this, this this was the first scene that we shot on the first day. And and Kelly, when when you arrived, I, I recall you you arrived with pink high heeled shoes and and nothing else to change into or something. <laughs> that sounds like me. I used to dress very sexy back then. My boyfriend liked me that way. So. But let me tell you, he was so jealous when I was on this set. We were on the telephone every night, and he was sure I was cheating on him. With who? I don't know who I could have been cheating on him with. Maybe the killer. Who knows? But yeah, that was not fun. But it was great to be away from him. It was like it was like a school. It was like a a field trip. And there I am, there little is. young me, so cute. I was so sassy. And what was your audition process like uh, for this movie, Kelly? Well, that's a funny story. I, you know, I think I did add, um, answer an ad in maybe, I can't remember what it was back then we used I, to answer. I think, I think it was Dramalog, maybe? Dramalog, yes, I think, yes. I think, yeah, we put the ad in that. Yeah. yeah, and I had just moved to LA um, very recently, and... Um, so I answered the ad. I got a call, which was so exciting. I remember we went to, um, it was an apartment building on Franklin and there was, the audition was in the rec room. And I, of course, we had a nervous stomach and I was so nervous. Uh, I had a monologue to remember. And then I think there was some improv as well, but I had to go to the ladies room and, um, take care of some business. And well, basically I broke the toilet. I broke it. It flooded. I ran out of there. Um, yeah, in case anyone was wondering who that was, that was me. Um, but that was good luck for me because I ended up having confidence enough. And I just, I don't know, I just felt really, really great about the audition. And my monologue went great. And they were, they just loved it. And I, I got the part and it was my first movie ever. And I, I just absolutely loved it. Well, yeah, like um, Jolene said, it was one of the best experiences ever. And actually looking back on my performance, I mean, I was very natural and I felt like very comfortable on screen. I loved it. I wasn't doing anything Marilyn Monroe, which I usually do. So this is pre my Marilyn Monroe days. There I am. Well, and here we have, well, uh, there's the reveal of Jolene, but uh, we have your husband, uh, Ernie Abernathy, uh, the man who played uh, your husband, Ernie Abernathy, who uh, Sally, uh, uh, illuminate us on on Ernie and how he be, uh, came to be involved in this movie and and be in the movie. I'm not actually sure, frankly. I thought we got everybody through the Gumblock, but... He was a doctor or something, wasn't he? Yeah. God, that's right. He was a friend of the people who owned the inn. That's what it was. I thought about that. Didn't Sally, didn't he put a few bucks into the film? He may have. I think he did. Yeah. That's why he got to play the part. There, he, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Many talks. Any winos. I forgot about that. Yeah. In fact, I think he was an orthopedic surgeon. Silly. Help me much, even though I broke my foot during this shoot. Oh, no. It slipped on the ice. <laughs> oh, no. Did the script have to be altered because of the weather? No. Not really. 
Uh, it should have been. <laughs> exactly. You, you know, for me, it was it was uh, wasn't a freezing. Stretch. Yeah. yeah, we used to go camping when I was a kid. We used to go camping in the snow. So this was like being with my family for real. It was I was very comfortable in this situation. Look, you can't come in here, old timer. This spot's taken. Hey, sign on the highway says public campground, mister. Besides, I see free. I was going to ask you, Jolene, uh, in terms of uh, your relationship with Ernie, uh, you know, playing husband and wife, what did you two talk about in terms of where you two were going to go with this performance? You know, I, I have to say, I don't remember a lot of that part. I do think to begin with the um, costume person, because I was a little bit young to have two children, I guess that were the age of Kelly and Ron. So the, originally the costume person had me dressed up like as a, a socialite that thought she married Rich or something. I don't know. Then the, Michael had a whole different vision, him and Sally. So then um, dressed me down to look a little bit older. Um, I don't really, I mean, um, he was so nice and kind and we were just having fun with it. I don't really specifically remember where we're going with it. Just kind of, unlike Kelly said, it just felt so natural. Maybe casting on y'all's part, there was just this chemistry that I never, you know, we just kind of went for it and felt very natural. Like we've been married and out having this miserable time camping, I guess. So um, it just was a real, a wonderful blessing experience. I hate to keep saying that, but you know what? It was absolutely true, so. Well, one thing I wanted to mention is that for first, a lot of, these are a lot of like, like first time actors, not first time actors, but first time movie actors, let's say. And they got to go on location, which is kind of rare for a extremely low budget film like this. And uh, I think that was part of the fun for you guys too, I, you know. Yes, definitely. Cause we hung out in the hotel and stuff together. And then we went downtown, Kelly, do you remember that? We went like downtown or, you know, trying to get in the, I was old enough to get in the casinos, but I don't think they were, but we smoked. Do you remember that? There's fish here? That's what Pop says. Actually, I remember, I think we went to the, the Calneva and checked it out because that's where Marilyn would, she would hang out there with the Rat Pack. So I was really into going there. Um, somehow, I think I had a fake ID. Right. But I Ron did. Didn't, and then I think they were following us around trying to kick us out or something. I don't remember. Do you remember? That? Well, if they were trying to kick us out, it was because I was being annoying, probably. No. <laughs> I don't know. But it was fun. But I agree because we all flew in together to... Uh, um, you know, a location shoot and stuff that created that extra bond instead of just going home, you know, and at the end of seven o'clock and coming back. Yeah. You know, we should also say one of the things that made this film a lot of fun was Mike O'Rourke. Oh my you know, gosh. Our dearly departed yeah. leader, one of my best friends. And oh. uh, he was just this fantastic guy. You know, this, this movie kind of reflects a little bit about him. Because, you know, he he uh, he had a wicked kind of sense of humor and he was probably the smartest guy I ever met next to Mike Goy, of course, but um, <laughs> he, he was really an amazing was. guy. And he, he you know, uh, in my relationship with him, we went to, we had projects all around the world with Mike and Sally and wow. Mike could just do these things. And he was real prolific. He's written like, I think five novels, is it Sally or uh, yeah. Sally? Yes. Six novels, yeah. yeah. 
which I would recommend over this film <laughs> a little bit. Uh, there's um, there's this one there's this one novel called The Bad Thing, which uh, kind of deals with this kind of story, and it's extremely well written. So if you guys go on Amazon, if you're listening to this, if you're into novels, get The Bad Thing by Mike O'Rourke. I think you would like it. Do you know what? Real quick, the scene that we're in right now, Kelly, do you remember it was so cold and Michael, they put um, some sort of insulation in our pants and we couldn't move because the mics would pick up this crunching sound. Do you remember that? We're on lawn chairs and the aluminum was so cold. It's yeah. like three in the morning or something. And like if we went to move to say a line, you hear this. Oh my God. Yes, it was terribly cold. And and this gentleman kept telling the story and he was telling it very slowly. <laughs> and it was going on and on. And yes, you could see we were shivering. Well, I think a, a lot of the humor uh, that Michael Rourke was trying to bring to this movie is actually embodied in this family in the first part of the movie. It, it, there is a, a little bit of a shift in, in acting styles and, and uh, approach as we get into the, the later parts with the other camp counselors. But, uh, you know, that's that's why, Jolene, I was asking you about uh, working with Ernie on, on the characters for the family, because... You know, the, the tone of, of the performances and, and the humor of the family and, and everything kind of comes from from there, you know, and then kind of gradually disappears over the course of the movie <laughs> when, well, he, when your characters disappear. <laughs> right, when we get stuck up. I do remember beforehand, um, we had a table reading, or I guess it was a motel reading. Do you remember that, Kelly? It's like all of us, our family uh, reading it. Michael was there and he gave us some direction, I guess. I don't remember a lot of specifics, but I do remember after we flew in, we had a reading and Michael was, O'Rourke was great about um, picking up what you could do or not making all that mesh together. It was really, uh, he was, I specifically remember him being so kind and patient and just, I just am so grateful that he gave me this opportunity at such a young age. He, he saw something in me and he discovered me. So it was so nice. <laughs> Do you remember we used to party back at the hotel room? Yes. And Bernie, I don't do you remember this, Jolene? This I hope you do. Remember when he did the strip tease to oh, yeah. Tush? Tush by ZZ Top, and he was pulling his pants down and dancing and he had long johns on, then he'd pull them back up like he was enticing us. And it was <laughs> it was really funny to see little Bernie do that. Or what was his name, the actor? Uh Blake. Blake Gibbons. Oh, this gentleman is Blake Gibbons? I always thought Oh, no, no. Bern, Bern, Bernie was a guy that Blake played Gibbons. Bernie. You're talking oh, about no. this guy's the one. Yeah, this guy was doing the strip tease. No, he's, <laughs> he he's the father of, of the killer. Yeah. Oh, that's no. That's why this was so funny, is because yeah. he was doing. You the remember? Long, the Long John stripper. <laughs> It was so funny. Oh my god! Yeah, I, I guess I guess all these people were cast out of Los Angeles, right, Sally? We didn't use any locals, I don't think. Ernie. Er, Ernie. Well, he isn't from LA. I think actually, I think from like Michigan or something. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, funny. the um, yeah, the, this uh, chocolate cake. There you go. And I have a taste for chocolate cake. This is nice photography, Mike. There's, there's that scene Blake. Was good. Yeah, there's Blake, right. <laughs> Mike, did, Blake. Did, I wanted to ask you, Mike, did you ever have any trouble because of the cold with the camera or anything like that? Or uh, did it all? 
Well, I mean, the camera, we shot the movie on 16 millimeter color negative film, and uh, I kept the uh, the camera battery actually wrapped around my waist underneath my winter coat so that the uh, the battery would stay charged up and, and the camera could run. Uh, we had to regularly lubricate the camera to make sure that the insides of it didn't freeze up. Um, I, I will say that it, it was a problem having the film become brittle and snap because of the cold. Several times we had to wait to, to change uh, camera uh, rolls because the, the film would snap when we tried to load it. Oh, so, yeah, yeah so it, it was that cold, but but uh, didn't didn't stop us from shooting. And, and Sally, how many days did we do this movie? And it was an alarmingly short amount of time. Uh, about two weeks, I think. Yeah, about two weeks. So it was, very, it was a very quick shoot around 12, 12, 13 days or something like that. <clears throat> yeah, this location was uh, outside of uh, Reno, and uh, it was owned by a guy named uh, Al Nygaard. Sally, could you talk about Al and how Mike met him? Because he's an interesting character. Actually, he didn't own it. It was a friend of his who owned the end. Uh, oh, okay. Myron. Yeah, Myron owned it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Al was actually his divorce lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> That was how they met. <laughs> yes, and, and his new wife, uh, Myron's new wife, was there on location with us when we were filming this, and he was training her how to shoot guns, I remember at that time. There was a lot of gun shooting going on, which wasn't really safe. And, you know, I know they were doing like a, like a lot of target practice uh, at night. I could hear them going off. Now, in, in reference to what uh, Kelly and Jolene were talking about in terms of uh, hanging out at the house and kind of partying, and there there will, I believe, be evidence on, on this Blu-ray of some of that because of the home movies that uh, Ernie and, and the rest of the uh, cast uh, shot. I think there'll be edited highlights of that inclu included in this. I know we had a lot of good food on that shoot, so I think uh, Kelly O'Rourke was helping with that and Actually, I I'm everybody. I, yeah, I did the cooking. See, I remember. I was like, wow, this is really cool. And then you realize not every film is going to be that great that you're on, right? Well, I always I always love this scene because it's it's really obvious, uh, Kelly, that you don't know how to smoke a cigarette. <laughs> and it was such a charming, I think, aspect of your character. I know. And that's not the first, that is the first time I've had to ever smoke in a movie. And it's not the last time. And I always look that awkward smoking. I think I've gotten a little more glamorous about it, actually. But yeah, I needed some practice there. It's because my dad made me light a cigarette for him when I was eight years old, and it traumatized me. So I never smoked cigarettes. I just, and I didn't even play with them. So, um, but one time in a TV show, I had to smoke a clove cigarette, and it made me so high that I could barely remember my lines. <laughs> That's funny. So here comes the. I think this yeah. is where it comes over and crashes through our window. Yes, and uh, <sighs> surprisingly, you know, and, and we have behind the scenes video of the filming of that where he smashes the window and stuff, but that that window smash is not in the movie for, for some reason. Uh, editorially, uh, it was cut around, and uh, we also missed the, the bloody bodies and stuff, which we shot, but are not in the movie as well. So... Um, so Sally, I'm not sure what happened in terms of the editing, uh, who had control over that, that material at that time. Well, Mike did actually initially, but what happened to it after 
this guy. I have no idea. Well, because I think it went to England, right? And they we, might have. That's where we cut it, yeah. We so were, they might have, you know, they don't like, you know, bloody stuff there. Well, you could, you could back back then. You could have like you know sexual movies, but anything to do with killing and things. Uh, I think they it was probably the English editors that cut it out. Maybe it, yeah. I don't know. I don't remember. I know they were English distributors. Yeah. Who bought it? So, which is why we were there. I do remember the window that it comes through. Or correct me if I'm wrong, Michael. That um, it was made of sugar or something, and we just had one of them, so we had to be sure that when it was busted, that we got it right. Am I, yes. Am I making this up? Or no, no, no. That's an entirely correct. It was yeah. sugar glass, and we could only afford one, and we needed to make sure that we could see the break. So we had we had you and Ernie duck out of the way, but then there was kind of a long pregnant pause before he smashed the window after you ducked out of the way. <laughs> By the way, the the shadow there, I think that Hi. was me. Okay. I think I I think I had to dress up as this guy once and do that shadow shot, but I could be wrong. It's great acting, whoever did it. Oh, there is the window. Oh, it's too bad. I wonder why they cut around that. Well, it's, we'll see it. We'll see it in the extras. <laughs> Although it does get, it does get when he starts killing the campers, or it does get pretty bloody. I would yes. think. I remember. Yeah. I think. Yeah. It's not not that particular scene, so I'm not yeah. sure why it was cut. Yeah. Huh. I don't know. It's a long time ago, guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So how did how did the movie come about, Sally? I mean, it was just uh, it was kind of a, a spec movie. Obviously, you didn't have a distributor when you started, right? Yep. Um, Mike had the idea. I mean, he just thought it would be fun to write, so he did because that's what he did. And Al really liked it for some reason. Al Nygaard, and he said, you know, how much money would you need to actually make it? And I don't remember what Mike said. I mean, seventy-five thousand dollars or something. And Al came back not too long after that and said he'd raised it. Hmm. <clears throat> By the way, Virgin Snow. Those are hard. Those are hard shots to get. That was a great yes, shot. Da yeah. David Lean and us did this. Yeah, thing. yeah. <laughs> that was a great oh, shot. and pops, pops dropped the microwave on my foot there. <laughs> he did. <laughs> yeah, he did. Oh, <laughs> oh no. But. Uh, yeah, I gotta say, is... Mike, I this movie really looks good. I I, I haven't seen this in year, even in this, you know, the version we're watching when they're going to transfer this. This should look stunning, really. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, Which you had like she but, go. Hmm. Maybe I'll follow those footsteps. Yeah. <laughs> Mike, oh, yeah. you had like you had like two lights to light this with or something. I mean, it, it was I, a I had kit. one. I had one five thousand watt light and then uh, uh, a kit of low lights, which were low these light. little yeah. little tiny tiny lights and, th and that was it and all uh, we didn't have a generator so we had to run extension cords <laughs> from the house for like hundreds of yards of extension cords uh in the snow and and the crew was always getting shocked picking up the cords uh they would get electrocuted but that that was the the lighting package and uh you know in scenes where we were trying to preserve virgin snow obviously i couldn't go out there and take a light meter reading so i had to just estimate by eye if the exposure was correct well, yeah, the, mm. joe, joe below and alex yeah, yeah. yeah and alex wexler see now he's a, obviously a comic character i think he's like elmer fudd basically yeah. and he was a dancer 
Oh, was he really? Yeah. 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 His passion was dancing. So was this take... crowd as, hap- as, as uh, happening and as fun as we were? Because we didn't <laughs> hang out with these guys. <laughs> there, there, were, uh, there were other things uh, going on with, with some, some of this cast. Um, you know, uh, Jill, who we, we had tried to reach. We had tried to reach everybody for this commentary. But uh, uh, Jill's husband, I know, uh, similar to, to your boyfriend, Kelly, was very uh, suspicious about what was going on on location and, and very jealous. So, you know, it, little, little dramas like that were popping up with, with this half of the cast. Not everybody, just occasionally. Didn't he show up? He showed up? Didn't he actually show up? Yeah, he showed up on location one day. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. You know, Jill Jill and I became friends back then because um, she helped me because my boyfriend and I were fighting. We fought a lot after that movie, not because of the movie, just because he was and not a nice person, but he, uh, we had a big fight and he did something and I left, I left. Um, he did something physical to me and I left cause I got scared and Jill let me live with her for a minute uh-huh. and I got a job down there. And then my boyfriend said, if you don't come back, I'm breaking up with you forever. And I was so young and scared that I went back to him. Typical abusive situation. But yeah, so I hung in there for a little while, but then I finally got out and he is no longer with us now. Mm-hmm. And so, a good thing it is too. Yeah, well, karma, karma's a bit. Oh. <laughs> I, I have a question to anybody that could answer this. Why do people wear sunglasses at night? <laughs> I don't so we can't know. tell who they are. <laughs> they oh, okay, be that, that may, because it's in the script is the answer, I suppose. But. That that shot of Ernie's uh, head, Ernie? by the way, was that was actually Ernie. We just yeah. draped the black fabric around his neck and then painted his neck red. <laughs> and, I and, uh, yeah, that, yeah, that's and we, a and we lit it. We lit it so that it looked like it was just. His yeah, head. you have that black dubatine. It's a classic old time, old timey, cheesy little low budget effect, but it's very good <laughs> it was perfect yeah i remember it looked amazing do you remember when they were doing that jolene yes i do actually yeah you're watching it and everything and then ron uh ron collie who played mikey my son he had to get you know blood and special effects which was my first experience even watching that happen in real life so that was fun it was amazing did we ever bloody you up jolene no, you didn't. But I remember there was a scene where I guess got cut, obviously, like in the corner and like screaming as he comes to chop me up or something. So, but, yeah. you know, it was a dramatic moment that got cut. Oh. <laughs> but it was fun. No, I never got the special effects. Yeah, because Kelly had the whole dramatic uh, chase down the road and getting <laughs> hit by the car. And- oh, yeah. uh, I love I think- telling people that. <laughs> I think we shortchanged you, Jolene. We should have murdered you in a more creative way. Oh, well. Maybe next time. <laughs> yeah, I had blood dripping out of my mouth, and I fell perfectly in the snow, as you'll see later. <laughs> it was my big death scene. I loved it. I love telling people that I was in a slasher film, and I got hit by a truck by the killer. It's just great. Um, Michael, how old were you when you shot this film? I was, uh, well, this was a shot in 1988. So I was already, what, 29? Wow. Yeah. 
So I, I, um, I had been shooting a lot of television commercials and, and documentaries for PBS in Chicago. Um, I, I had worked on, on the Blues Brothers in 1979 as a production assistant. And um, it was not, I would say, not a great experience for me. Um, there was just a, seemed a lot of chaos in the production of that movie. And it soured me on going to Hollywood and, and making movies, uh, feature films for a long time. So it, it took me a while before I, I they, came around. To do remember this. in Chicago, they called uh, the Blues Brothers the, the Blues Bothers because it just kept going on and on and on. And also Mike and I met uh, in Chicago at a, at a film school or a college called Columbia College. And we had made a couple really good short films that are still in distribution. And this was like back in uh, 76, you know, 76 to 80. Uh, uh, so I knew Mike was just an incredible talent, you know, uh, in, in photography and uh, I'm, I'm glad he came out and did this thing. I mean, it, it's to, to this day, it still looks good. You know, I, I, I will kind say of impressed, those, of, <laughs> those of you who are watching the movie, uh, yeah, Kelly did run into me there when she ran away. She ran into, oh, she did? Yeah, when she was running uh, toward the camera away from the killer, she, she smacked into me. <laughs> it was really in it, you know, I was in it. I was, it was real for me. I was really being chased. I'm a method actor. <laughs> <laughs> It's so funny because he hit me and then I'll, when you see me, it's all red and bloody. Like, like you get red as soon as you get hit. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course. Oh. Say, uh, Kelly and Jolene, do you remember the assistant director on this film? Um, no? Okay. Unfortunately, he's not with us either. His name is uh, Neil Kinsella. And he's another guy. He was like my AD. I used to direct Tales from the Dark Side and he was my AD on that. And I brought him up for this show, but um, he was this great guy, and he was also an actor. Um, but yeah, I just remember Taylor, Neil. He plays Taylor, the detective in the movie. Yeah, he's in this, and and he, you know, he has this weird kind of fedora or that he always wore. It was like his trademark. But all I remember of of, of Neil is because remember when we were shooting it, it was sort of like a lot of this is in a backyard, basically of the house. Right. And Neil had this walkie-talkie, and I could always hear him going, "House." House. house house and the house would never answer <laughs> they didn't want to come outside i don't think at that point but um but neil did a lot of work on this too and uh i'm sorry he's gone but that's yeah that's life i call life who actually wrote this script was it michael yep it was michael rourke and ha had he written a lot of scripts, or was this one of his first, or where in his career did this one fall? The first one that was produced. Uh, oh, no, I think that fact was second. The, yeah. yeah. What was the other one called, John? Uh, well, Deadly Love, but we called it Bloody Buddy. Yeah, um, it was, that was technically the first one. This was the second one. Well, Mike, get, get Vinegar to release that one, man. <laughs> Well, we we had That's talked about uh, we had talked about maybe releasing it as as an extra on on this disc, uh, but uh, we'll we'll have to see what what life we can give that movie. And then Mike subsequently wrote other screenplays for uh, I think prominently Hellgate, which was directed by William Levy in South Africa. Is that correct, Sally? Yeah, I know. 
Yeah. Start Ron Palillo, Horseshack from Welcome Back, Carl. Carl. That's cool. Yeah, and like most careers, Mike, uh, he wrote, he was very prolific. He wrote a lot of screenplays. They were optioned, you know, but that's 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 showbiz. A lot of times you get options uh, for, you know, pretty good money, but they don't get made. And, you know, uh, sadly, that was kind of that story. He was also, he was also, I'm sorry. So you feel like you're in a turnaround most of the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're spinning. And Mike also was, uh, he was like a producer director on a real famous TV show at the time called That's Incredible. And uh, he did a lot, a lot of those show, shows too. And before that, he did medical films, right? Sally, that's yeah. how you guys met? Yeah, he was shooting inside our operating room and I tripped over the camera. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it wasn't during surgery. <laughs> it, well, I mean, it was, but it was, <laughs> I, was, I wasn't scrubbed at that time. <laughs> Kelly, are you, you were a doctor? No, I was a nurse. Oh. I worked in the operating room for 30 years. Oh, my goodness. Thank you for all your service. Amazing. I got to say, just, just real quick, this scene is really good. It, it's a tough scene because it's a long take. and It's a long take that introduces all the rest of the yeah, characters. Uh, th this was really this was really bold of you to do this, I think, you know, because, and, and like this, you made, I don't know if it was purpose, but it looks like you know dead skin on the on the tents. It's oh God, it's what? no, it's, it's got like a it's got like you know a feel to it. Uh, well, you know, it, it, anytime you do long unbroken shots like this, they have to travel around and look all over the place. Uh, you know, you you have to put the lights where you can, <laughs> um, and the few lights that we had, and still be able to see the characters. So that uh, it, it was born out of desperate i always i always say that i've created an entire career out of making enormous compromise look like an intentional style because it, it's almost never what i intended to do it's what i needed to do in order to get the job done so because yeah. i got <clears throat> killed off early how long was the rest of the shoot as far as nights because i can see obviously it's well, most of it was at night. It was all night. Yeah. So is that was yeah. that like a total of a two to three week shoot that you were? I don't think it was more than two. I think it was around two. Days, yeah. Even. yeah, because daytime shot I think was the one when the police come. Yeah, we were shooting uh, six day weeks, as I recall. So it, yeah, it was about two weeks, and it was all nights except for the end uh, sequence, after, the aftermath of, of the killings, which takes place at at morning um i think we we might have shot that at sunset but but the front the front of what we did i think too when we were first setting up yeah that yeah. was the only uh, only day stuff it's the beginning yeah. and the end yeah everything else takes place uh, on this long night so it's all night shooting her name was uh susie jessup yes, susie jessup yes yeah like uh she has a unique spelling that's kind of interesting Luckily, that was shot inside. I know the showers. <laughs> and that was Joseph uh, Christopher with her. Uh, no, uh, Joseph uh, played Chet. A lot of characters in this film, actually. Yeah. Do you remember quite, all of that? <laughs> quite, quite a few. Well, you can go to IMDb, Sally. <laughs> it's a cheat sheet. <laughs> Oh, sorry. I think that's Greg Martin, actually, with Susie. 
It's been a while. Hard to remember all the pairings. She was very cute. I like her. Mike, what was your uh, discussions with O'Rourke? I mean, how did you guys approach this thing? Uh, creatively, there there weren't that many, um, really. Uh, we've talked about, you know, horror films that uh, were successful around that time. Uh, I was going to ask about that. What, what was successful around this time? Did it fit a genre going on? No, but I mean, we were still feeling kind of the impact of Halloween, you know, with yeah. with all the uh, the slasher movies that were coming out in the 1980s as as a result of Halloween. Um, you know, this kind of fell into that mold a little little after the fact, I, I would say. But um, that was uh, primarily it. You know, what what kind of a look and feel makes for a successful horror slasher? film and how do we fit into that with the limited resources that we have and the plan was always directly to video so that was taken into consideration as well mm -hmm. and i remember and this may be in the behind the scenes uh, home video that the that you may see in this disc uh, the uh, dailies were projected we projected it in the house and in, the, in a little room up there uh, in 16 millimeter it was a double system sound so the soundtrack was running on another reel and projecting it on the wall so we could see what the images look like i kind of got filming. a story about that because i was kind of responsible to get that down to la and get them sunk up and brought back to reno and uh, a friend of mine he'll he should remain nameless but um He's an editor and he was doing the work and he was staying in uh, Sally and Mike's apartment, that apartment building you guys auditioned in, remember, uh, on Franklin, I think you mentioned. Anyway, uh, so he was staying in this apartment and Mike says, I've been getting complaints about your, he shall remain nameless. I said, what? He says, well, you know, we have an apartment there and they're seeing like all these half naked women running up and down the halls with him a camp with him, and he's got a camera and he's shooting him. What's going on down there? And what was going on is that he was doing fetish films. He was doing, um, I guess there's like a subgenre of fetishism about, you know, uh, women beating up men. So he would get these, <laughs> these Who female, was doing this? Who I, was doing I don't want to say his name, but <laughs> you know, he, uh, he's, he's, he's a great guy, but you know, he, so it was like, um, yeah, so he was get female bodybuilders. <laughs> and shoot these video things mainly inside the apartment but sometimes he went outside for for them to chase the guy and they were always like killing these guys and you know and they're gripped or between their legs or whatever i don't know but uh that was an interesting little tidbit that <laughs> he had to deal with on this shoot because it, it was a kind of a nightmare to get it back and forth uh from la to reno yes and because I, we were having that terrible weather yeah virtually the entire time in fact, we were we started a couple of days late, as I recall, because we got a blizzard. Yeah, we oh. had a blizzard. Yeah, you, you had to bring in a bulldozer just so that the uh, cars could get in. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I remember that. Whose house was were we shooting at? Did somebody own that house? Yeah, it was actually a bed and breakfast inn that belonged to the some friends of our our executive producer. Yeah, Myron, Myron uh, Sayan and Susan Hanna own own that property, that house. I don't know whether they still do or not. It's a great big place now. Did yeah. Did you have to pay for it, or did they give it to you for free? Um, 
I don't remember. We didn't pay much for it. It's just we had to pay for it. We didn't and have we, much to spend. <laughs> and you gave them uh, uh, parts in the end of the movie. They're they're the, the detective and the uh, um, who are watching the ambulance go away and have a conversation. Those are the owners of the house. Oh, that's oh, great. Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah. Did did Michael write the script with that house in mind? Because sometimes you can create a movie around the locations you have available to you. Technically, no. But yeah, we knew they... we were going to do it up there. We were living at Tahoe at the time. Mm -hmm. So we knew we would be shooting up there somewhere. Wow. That was a lucky break. Yeah, I mean, it was really written, you know, with the idea of, uh, you know, campers, so you have tents, basically, you know, but it was nice because the house was, oh, there's John Marzilli. Uh, he's John Marzilli and Ingrid Vold. And Ingrid Vold, yeah. Uh, John Marzilli is another guy I knew from Tales from the Dark Side. I think he was, um, I don't think he was an AD. I think he was sort of like a, like a PA or like, like a stand-in, but again, he was an actor. And uh, so we auditioned him and he was good for the part, you know, and um, I, I, I remember picking him because I had to pick the actors up at the airport when they were because it was like staggered, you know, the, the shooting schedule. And, and I had known John for I did four seasons of Dark Side, so I knew him pretty well, I thought. But when I picked him up, I've never seen anybody so excited. <laughs> you know, he's going like, uh, John, I got to tell you, you know, I'm going to give this movie all my, it's going to be the best fucking movie ever. I'm going to just give it all my, I'm just going to go out. And John, okay, John, I know you are. That's why you got chosen. Okay. But it was just amazing how much he was into this thing. And, and I got to say all the actors were, I, you guys were a real dedicated bunch and you had a lot of John, talent, you know, John and Ingrid probably had the most experience uh, at this point uh, of the actors. I know Ingrid had, had been in, in several exploitation movies leading up to this. And they balanced each other well. Yeah, the whole cast worked together well. Yeah, it's a lot of a lot of a lot of talented people, you know, doing this stuff for you know no money, but that's 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 showbiz sometimes. Yeah, this is a great shot. It was good too, considering the conditions. Yeah, the producer Al Nygaard, I remember, wasn't he also a pilot? No, Mike was the pilot. Al wasn't the pilot. Yeah, Michael no, was no. the pilot. No, Al, Al Nygaard was a, he was a professional pilot, Sally. Professional pilot? No, he was a lawyer. He was a lawyer, yeah, but I remember, remember there's like shots of him flying down to the Amazon and he's flying a, a Piper Cub or something. Uh, Isn't everybody always as friendly around here? Or did I just come in a bad time? I'm sorry. They're just a little uptight over the last minute. Boy, unless he was like, you know, putting me on. But I remember having long conversations about being an airline pilot with him. Uh, oh, no, he definitely wasn't an airline pilot. Wow. OK. <laughs> well, OK, maybe I'm misremembering, but I, I could have sworn. Uh, but he was an interesting guy because, uh, like I said, um, I think we had some trouble <laughs> getting, getting, the, getting the film out of the lab because they weren't being paid, you know? And um, I, remember, <laughs> I remember Al taking the phone from me. I said, you know, they're not, they're not going to sell it up. And, and Al goes, yes, this is uh, attorney Alden Nygaard. <laughs> it's scare him into releasing it, you know. But we did get everything, I think. You know, I don't think anything was held back. Uh, Here are some of our other uh, cast members. 
Pamela Ross and Anne McFadden. Oh yeah, Pamela Ross. That's yeah. that's Pamela. And Anne McFadden is is the uh, the one who has the the uh, voice uh, like oh what was her name who was in the Chuck Norris uh, movie Good Guys Wear Black and Archer. So I guess you guys really didn't interact with these actresses much. Only Jill. Just Joe, yeah. Well, because you yeah. stayed a little bit late, longer than I did, Kelly. I left right after right. my scenes were over. After I died. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let me let me ask uh, you, uh, Jolene and, and Kelly. When was the first time you you actually saw the completed movie, and what was your reaction to it? I, you know what? I am stumped on when it was I saw it. I mean, I have the DVD copy somewhere in or in my storage, I think, but I don't remember when I actually saw the whole movie. Oh, did it we have a screening? For, wasn't ready for the wrap party, was it? I don't think so. But Sally, didn't you guys have a screening or something? I don't. Am I making this up? <laughs> I don't remember either, frankly. And having sat through all the the editing of it. I probably didn't show up for the screening anyway. <laughs> yeah, I don't, think, I, I don't think we did. Or... I can't remember. I can't remember either. I mean, I did find it on Amazon Prime because I searched it and there it was. So I actually filmed my clips off of uh, the TV screen and edited it together in a not a great way. But I was going to post that on Facebook, but I never did. I still have it in my phone. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, but no, I don't remember seeing it. Um, I, I must have seen it somewhere. I mean, I know we had a commentary we did a few years back, Michael, and but I had mm. seen it before that. I don't know. They're all told to be. Yeah. No, it, it came out on VHS initially. Um, That's what I have. I just wanted to yeah. point out that two shot. Now, normally, okay, you wouldn't have to have the smoke, but the smoke adds a lot. But it's very tough. <laughs> Their eyes are probably watering from the smoke. But it was a nice little touch, you know. Was keeping everybody warm. I don't think anyone wanted to complain. That's probably true, <laughs> Sally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. More more scenes in front of the fire. Yeah, please Empire, get please. get as close as you can. <laughs> um, I was wondering about the ratio of this picture because it's more square rather than this way is that because of the 16 millimeter or uh it, it because it was always intended for uh video distribution at that time video distribution was was a, a four by three aspect ratio it wasn't 16 by nine certainly wasn't you know anamorphic um so it was just composed that way and that's why it's it's just in four by three aspect ratio you know, it's, it's interesting because a lot of filmmakers are going back to this aspect ratio for some reason. I don't know if it's like, you know, if they grew up with it, but I think Macbeth, the new Macbeth by the Cone brother, Joel, that, sh that shot in four by three. In a black and white. Yeah. Interesting. But, yeah, you got to remember this is VHS days, you know. Uh, and pretty early VHS days, too. Yeah. 
But it's tricky when you're shooting a lot of actors and you got to get everybody in the shot. I mean, Michael, you did a great job of doing that all the time without cutting people off, you know, by accident. But um, what kind of prime lenses were you using, Michael? Well, I, as I recall, I only had two lenses. I had one zoom and one wide angle <laughs> lens, and that was it. Um, the camera package was was very small, and and the shooting ratio, uh, you know, which is you know how much film you shoot as as opposed to how much how long the movie runs, was very very tight. Um, by the time we got to the end of of filming on the last uh, days, we we had run out of film. Um, we we didn't we used up all the short ends the little bits the twenty foot bits that were left over and stuff we used up every single bit and ran out. That's so all. like 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 three takes would be a big deal. Oh, I three three I don't even know that we ever did three takes. Oh, you never did three any, takes of, okay. of anything. Yeah. So basically one take of each scene and you just put it all together, whether, I mean, was there a scene that you had to shoot more, like more than you would like, would have liked to because of the way technically it just wasn't working out? Is there a specific scene? Uh, no. I mean, it, you know, if, if, if the performance was, was good and, and it was in focus, uh, we would just move on. <laughs> yeah. That's and, funny. Uh, yeah, oddly enough, that's the way I, I direct right now. I mean, if if, if take no one is great and it's in focus, I move on. That's um, but, uh, Michael Rourke was an editor, so a, a lot of it is how he wanted stuff shot made it a little easier. Didn't need quite as much footage, quite as many takes. Did he storyboard this um, film, Sally? In his mind. <laughs> well, no, you know, Sally, I, I, that's a good question. I think he did draw some pictures. I kind of remember he has, that. He, draw, he did draw pictures, but it wasn't a, an official story. It wasn't a real a lot, but there were some scenes that he. Uh, do you have copies of that? Uh, no, God, no. Okay. He probably didn't keep them even then. Anyway, I do remember you, Michael, and Michael Rourke seemed to have like this incredible patience. I don't ever remember like anyone raising their voice or anything, you know, it was just um, the patience of being out there in the cold and all of us doing all this stuff. It was um, really to be admired what you guys did. Yeah. I mean, O'Rourke was always that way. He was sort of like uh, very methodical uh, and very patient. I remember. Yeah. But there always was like this, like big kind of goofy kid aspect about <laughs> Aurora too, which was great, you know, and uh, he was just a lot of fun to be around, <laughs> you know. I, I remember being envious when I when I finally years later saw the home movies of uh, of all of you at, at the house because uh, I didn't get to experience any of that. I I, I I was always outside, and and you know when when we had breaks uh, for stuff, I would stand outside by the camera because I figured well that was the fastest way to get everybody back is to to just be there. <laughs> you were staying at the house with us anyway, weren't you? Yeah. Because it was Kelly O'Rourke filming the home movie kind of things, wasn't she, Sally? Seems yes, like that, that was part of what she was doing. Yeah. Right. Well, it was. I'd love to see some of that. Like I remember, it was fun. She you know, too. like this is pure comedy. You know, I mean, she's out there. Well, freezing. <laughs> she's freezing. Well, I remember. Oh, yeah. I remember when uh, all all the cast uh, showed up. Uh, 
the the only place to take a, a shower was was at another uh, motel, which was closed down for the winter uh, down the road. And we uh, we went down there, and uh, Kelly, we had we had to carry you across the the carpet because when we opened when we opened it up and, and we started walking in, the, it was squishing beneath our feet, and we turned on flashlights, and the the whole carpet was like five inches of dead flies. So we, we had to carry you over to the shower and carry you back so you wouldn't oh. have to walk through the dead flies. Oh. oh, my goodness. Well, thank you. That was thank like you. a horror film by yourself. I know. And I'm so sorry we didn't play with you, Michael. <laughs> you were more than invited. We're sorry. If I had known that, I would have come out and got you. <laughs> I was busy trying to finish Michael, the movie. I know. Truth is, when Michael is working on a film, Nothing else matters. And they're playing your song, Regis. Yeah, well, I'm going to check the grounds, and then I'm going to turn in. And I'm holding you personally responsible, Bobby, for any litter in this campsite in the morning. So I suggest you stop telling your little bullshit maniac stories and get to work. The major putts. <laughs> Why is he so freaked out over your story? The people who own this camp are a little sensitive about maniac stories, especially... Um, Mike, who was your film crew? Uh, did you have an assistant? You did have an assistant, right? Did you have a focus puller or anything? Or uh... I had one uh, one assistant, one real assistant, Mark Bedrosian. Oh, Bedrosian. Right. Yeah, who was the uh, camera assistant. And he, he brought along a, a, a trainee, somebody who had never worked on film before. So, you know, but it, it essentially ended up being then just, just myself and Mark trying to keep the, the entire camera end of it going. I remember go, going to Mark Bedrosian's apartment once. Uh, he was this, he was this fascinating kind of warrior guy, which was another part of Mike O'Rourke because Mike comes out of uh, the Marine Corps, you know? Uh, so I think he kind of bonded with Bedrosian. But I remember going to his uh, apartment for some reason, I don't know. But um, when I come out, my car's missing. <laughs> and I, I run back into Bedrosian's apartment. I said, somebody stole my car. He goes, God, and, he, and he runs into his bedroom and he comes up with two AK-47 guns. He's going, God damn it. <laughs> He's like, going, going after these guys. I'm saying, no, Mark, Mark, it's just a car. We'll find, and we did find it, but uh, wow. yeah, he was, he was interesting. Wow. I remember An Antoinette Ponzo was the uh, makeup artist. Um, she did the makeup for, for the movie. And, and she was, a, she loved working around Reno because she was a really big gambler. She loved to go gamble. Back rack. And, and you could tell when, when she came back to the set the next day if she lost or she won. <laughs> I, I think she's the only one on this movie that made money. <laughs> she was really well, at, good. At the I end, mean, at the end, yeah, she made enough money to buy herself a car. To yeah, no, she, she did well. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Wow. There, she's... there are a couple of days where she lost. But. Yeah. <laughs> what about Bernie? <laughs> Here we have the scene that Story. explains the entire plot. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, who, who the villains are and why they are, and yes, it's all here. So, it's, uh, so you didn't do a master of this scene. You basically zeroed in on the guy talking, and I love that zoom in on him you did. That was really nice. Because, you know, it was like, he's telling a story, pay attention. But then you go to the other people. So were those just like insert shots of their reactions? Is that how you did that? 
Yeah, we, we couldn't uh, really afford to do long, long, long takes uh, masters of everybody uh, uh, talking. So we, we would shoot selectively who we needed to have and the reactions that we needed to get, but we wouldn't roll the entire take just on the reaction. So it was, I love that. That's a very smart way to shoot. Let's see, trying to like conserve film. You have no money. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's a homemade bayonet. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a little disjointing, I think, for the actors because you you roll the camera on them and you you say, okay, say your line, and she says, that's terrible. You know, all right, cut. <laughs> yeah. It's it. You know, unfortunately, uh, we were in that kind of mode. And we only uh, had one camera. We didn't have multiple cameras. So. And nowadays, you could just shoot, 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 digital. It doesn't matter. You can overshoot. I, I mean, unless you're on the day when you wait for him to show up. Yep. You can, you can literally edit your movie the same day you shoot it. It's great. This woman's body is amazing. <laughs> she could be in one of those fetish videos. She could. She looks like a bodybuilder. <laughs> Lucky uh, that guy never saw her. Um, what was the camera? Was it an eclair, Mike? Uh, no, it was a, an Airy. Oh, an Airy. Okay. It's an Airy SR. SR. 16 millimeter. Did you own it or rent it? No, that was rented. I didn't own equipment. We, we owned the lights, the little lights you used. Oh, that's right. It was your lights. Right, right, right. Mm -hmm. And I think we just we just rented the, the 5K because we needed one light that was big enough to be able to light the trees in the background. It actually gave light. Yeah. Boy, that is funny laying extension cord in snow. <laughs> God. It's amazing we didn't blow the fuses in the house. Oh, we did a few times. The, the circuit breaker would trip and all of us would be standing in the dark and we'd say, is somebody running the house? And flip it. Oh, that was Neil probably going, house, house. <laughs> yeah, oh. okay. Yeah, house. Running in. He was always saying house. <laughs> Thanks anyway, Bobby, but, you know, I don't think so. Right. But, uh, you know, when you think about the schedules on low-budget films like this, you know, and the fact that uh, it's not just this long scene of exposition that had to be shot that night, it was, it was, I think it was this scene, it was that long introductory shot that travels around all the, uh, the campsites. I believe it was also Jill at the end running through the campsite uh, after the murderers has been chasing her and stuff. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that we have to shoot every single day because if we lit one setup, we really just had to finish everything in that setup. See, I thought that long hit handheld shot you did around the campsite, you did three times maybe. Was that only one time? Then that was two at least, right? That was two twice. That was twice as I recall. Okay. Yeah. Because of the timing of- uh, Yeah, that's- Tough shot. Oh. That was wonderfully cool. coordinated. That looked great. And it wasn't a steady cam either. It was steady mic. <laughs> exactly. Handheld. Like a surgeon. How many, um, how many handheld shots compared to uh, sticks uh, would you say you did? Was it mostly handheld or half and half or? No, we tried to do just use handheld shots when we wanted to represent something that might be the killer's point of view or 
just indicate that that something may be watching uh, somebody. Um, but everything else tended to be more studio mode on sticks. Nice. Yeah, would you mind? Good. I like to, I, I would like to make a feature film at some point, but in the meantime, I do shorts here and there, but I'm just picking your brain, Michael, because I think what you did here is really remarkable and the lighting is beautiful. And I mean, you did a super great job. And I mean, for, for your first film. It's a genius when it comes to lighting. Yeah, well, and it's not- it's, things we noticed. Well, he's really, he's very good. <laughs> For the film yeah. he did for John yeah. in Chicago, The Hunger Artist was one, yes? Yeah, Hunger Artist, and uh, which we're going to do it. We actually did a commentary track for that. We're going to be releasing that. And then there's another release of Music of Eric Zahn, which is an H.P. Lovecraft story that's coming out this year. Anyway, those were beautifully shot, too. Yeah, I think that's what, sold, I, that's, what sold, that's what sold you and Mike to hire Goy, uh, I think. Yeah. Well, it's... it's it's always been a fascination to me that you could tell the story with visuals that uh, it didn't necessarily always have to be dialogue but if you look at an image that image tells a story of, of some sort and so trying to find the ways to do that with limited resources and limited time but still have the audience kind of plug into what what's going on with the characters it all came from the characters it always has for me um ever since i saw the movie the graduate and i saw how they use the camera and the lighting to give the audience the the feeling of how dustin hoffman felt at different points in that movie that's what i was trying to reflect in in my career as as i was going forward but you know ultimately for me the the performance of the actors is the most important thing um it's, it's what propelled me into the director's chair when the actors on American Horror Story, which I was the cinematographer for, um, said that I should be directing the show because they knew that my priority was to make sure that the director and the actors could get the performance. So, so I rarely use more than three lights when I'm lighting anything. Uh, wow. And, and I and I had very not much more than three lights for this. Yeah, show, I mean so this it was, was easy. This, this was funny. <laughs> it's the old tuck your tuck, tuck your, your yeah, legs up underneath your body, yeah. and, and we'll paint your paint your kneecaps red. <laughs> Get the ketchup. I think she was flexible. Oh, there goes his arm. Yeah, this yeah. is pretty bloody. I mean, you know. <laughs> blows his brains they, out wow yeah, they, that's like yeah, that's like that's that's they, that gag they, they did on uh godfather <laughs> they fired they fired it off while blake was still cocking the gun yeah out. yeah <laughs> oops yeah nothing is overlit. it's just beautifully lit and subtle it's, it's beautiful just gorgeous yeah it's amazing you see you, you only use three lights in this in the scenes that you did yeah mostly well when when you guys actually see what vinegar syndrome because they're going to do like a, a 2k transfer i imagine right yeah it, yeah it, it, may, it may, may have been a 4k transfer a 4k but, transfer uh, yeah and, it's it's going to look it, this won't even it won't even look anything like this it's going to be so great looking uh when they when you see the final product two years ago 
which yeah. syndrome is uh, known for. They put so much work into these movies, they find. I can't wait to yeah. see it. Are you yeah, I will say I, I was really, really happy with their release of Hellmaster. Um, they sent me uh, some copies of the reviews of the transfers once the, the disc was released. And, and it's, it's the first time uh, I had actually ever seen the movie looking the way I had always intended the movie to look. So, you know, the, this process of trying to find Moonstalker and get it released is something that Vinegar Syndrome and I had been working on for years because they were very interested in releasing this movie. And I was really interested in, in having the movie be seen finally in, in a form that, that reflected what we were trying to do. How, how did Vinegar Syndrome know about this film? You said there's a fan base. Like, where do they see this? Uh, on, on YouTube? or? When, well, when they initially contacted me about uh, Hellmaster and, and supervising the color timing and doing an interview for that release, um, they had certainly researched other things that I had worked on. And the two titles they were especially interested in were Moonstalker and Chains, the action, low budget action movie that I wrote and, and shot in Chicago. So um, by that point, I, I had already been looking for the negative of, of Moonstalker and, and, you know, talking with Sally about, you know, where could the trail lead? And, you know, we're trying to find receipts for people who signed uh, negative things. And, and um, when, when I knew Vinegar Syndrome was interested, I, I just really amped up my efforts to, to concentrate on Moonstalker and find that, find that first. Well, they're the best place for this. Say, so Kelly, could you, could you talk a little bit about um, your Marilyn Monroe life? Sure. Um, when I was 19, around this time, my cousin Bootsy in Florida said that I should impersonate Marilyn Monroe. And I asked her years later why she said that. And then she said, because you look like her. And I didn't realize that, that was the reason why. Well, but I did realize later that I did look like her. In fact, I was so obsessed. I would compare pictures of me next to pictures of Marilyn and all these books that I had of Marilyn. But yeah, so I started well, in Miami, so there was a screening of Some Like It Hot, and um, I, I, she, I, I said, she said, you should go get, get all dressed up, do the makeup as Marilyn, and go to this thing. And so I did, and I got in for free, and I missed the movie cameras because my boyfriend was late picking me up, the one that was jealous. Um, so I was, not the movie cameras, the news cameras, because the news was there. And I was like, my I was going to be on TV, darn it. Um, anyway, so that kind of led... Me doing Marilyn Monroe kind of um, turned me into a certain type of actress that worked for a long time. Like me emulating Marilyn Monroe uh, got me a lot of gigs up until like um, maybe my late 20s. And then it started getting a little harder because, you know, I was being compared a lot to Marilyn, which was great, but I wanted to be taken seriously as an actress, just like Marilyn Monroe did. So I kind of changed my approach to the characters and I wasn't so sexy and bimbo -y. I was more like, I was starting to get like meaner and bitchier in the characters. Mm -hmm. So, and then I was able to book some work, work that way, which was great. But, but it was really easy for me to fall into this, you know, Marilyn and like, you know, being very sexy and like, you know, anyway, so that was working for me. Um, and then, 
so then I kind of put Marilyn on the back burner until about eight years ago, I crashed an audition to play Marilyn Monroe on stage at the Matcha Theater in West Hollywood. And um, a friend of mine had sent me the notice on Actors Access and I tried to legitimately um, uh, you know, submit myself, but she didn't call me, but I knew when the director, she didn't call me. Um, I knew when the auditions were, and I had the sides and I already knew everything about Marilyn because of all my research. I literally have probably 50 Marilyn books in my apartment. Mm. Um, so I knew all about her. And so I, I crashed the audition and I saw the girls that were there and I really just wanted to say, okay, you guys can leave because I'm, I'm getting this role no matter what. <laughs> and so when I went into the room, of course I was like, I am, um, you know, I walked in as Marilyn and I said, oh, I, and she says, the director said, did we speak on the telephone? And I said, um, I said, no. And I said, would you like me to start with a happy birthday, Mr. President? And so she started laughing at me. And then I said, well, why are you laughing at me? And she goes, you're, you just sound just like her. Like, and, and so I said, I know all her songs. And I did the scene and I did happy birthday, Mr. President. And it, I got the role. Anyway, I ended up uh, doing 40 performances of that play. Um, I was on stage the entire time. There was an intermission. So 40 of that show. And then I, I got burnt out on that one. She had to recast me. And then later in 2018, I wrote uh, my own solo show about Marilyn Monroe, which I performed 15 times. Um, and that was hugely successful. And I was singing and dancing in that. And then I, you know, obviously I get murdered at the end and I do imply that I was murdered by the Kennedys. And, oh, you cool. know, yeah, because, you know, a lot of people like to leave the, that murder, that death of her ambiguous. And I said, even to the director for the play, I said, you have to choose a side. You have to like, you can't just leave it up, you know, open-ended. So she chose that that Marilyn was murdered and I chose that Marilyn was murdered. I'm, I'm going I'm to have to interrupt you a little bit, but, but this is Neil Kinsella, the guy who's passed away. He's playing, uh, he's playing a detective kind of character that he based on Columbo, I think. He's the one with the coffee cup. Coffee cup. That's Neil. And he, that's a funny shot with that tiny girl. <laughs> this guy. I know. Is that a girl? It looks like a little boy. You're talking about with the it's hat? It's a girl, isn't it? Yeah, definitely a girl. Like a junior, little, junior with sheriff or something? She was so small. I don't even remember why we used her. She's local to Reno. We didn't, she wasn't somebody we hired. I, I, think, I think Mike O'Rourke thought it was funny, probably. Don't you think? <laughs> uh, it's very that, funny looking. Mm. That hat is so big on her. Yeah, the, the, the tall one is Tracy Hutton. He Tracy, did yeah. A, yeah. Yeah, he did a couple of things on the production. He was kind of like the local contact uh, for, for stuff. That's right, he was. Yeah, yeah and, and the, the girl is Sam, Sam Williams. And here's yeah. Fingerless Neil. Yeah, yeah Neil, Neil is loving this. <laughs> to be <Fingerless>. active. <laughs> is he really missing a finger? No. He's just tucking it in. Oh, God. <laughs> so it looked like he's. In... <laughs> what is but, but Kelly, Kelly, you were you were on the you were on the poster for a release, a, a movie called Fortress of America. And I bought it because you, you were on the poster and then you weren't in the movie. And I was really upset. Oh, I know. They used to do that. They used to put me. It was my boyfriend would be in the movie. And then the director always liked the way that I looked. And, and so that wasn't the only movie poster I was on that. Um, yeah, I know that's false advertising. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> right. Sold a lot of posters, right? 
That's so right. Jolene, what what have you been up to, uh, Jolene? Well, you know, I've um, just a array of like short films and projects. I recently had a lead in a film called um, The Butterfly Keeper, where I played, um, I got I drowned. I guess I have a theme of being killed. This one was by my husband because I had Alzheimer's and uh, different projects like that. My husband and I do comedy. We do a lot of um, in-person shows for um, retirement communities. We have a show that we've written. We do sketch comedy together. Um, I have a project for children called Virtuallys with uh, 30 YouTube videos, Bert and me teaching children to think with their heart. So it's a whole character I created. So just always trying to do something and with the entertainment arts. And I was thrilled for the opportunity to see my first film to come about and do a commentary on that. Oh, great. And uh, do do either you, Jolene and Kelly, you have little websites of, of your work or something that you'd like people to visit? I just want to make sure we get that out that information before. Sure. Um, um, KellyMullis.com. There's some uh, demo reels on there and uh, some short films that I've shot. So feel free to visit me. Um, I'm also Kelly Mullis on Instagram and also Facebook. And I'm on MullinsJolene.com. So it's Mullins, Jolene, J-O-L-E-E-N.com. And then also Jolene Mullins on Facebook. And uh, you bring up Jolene Trot Mullins, it should bring up different sites and stuff of things that I do. So be thrilled for someone to check it out. Yeah. Yes, this was wonderful. It was so great to see everybody. And I'm, oh, I'm we're really not proud done yet. of this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I was just saying that the, 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 the evil guy was setting up that thing. And didn't we call it like the puppet something? Puppet theater. Puppet theater, that's it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's pretty funny when it, you know, it comes that up. That was one of those shots that was taken. Actors were freezing. Yeah, she was freezing <laughs> to death. <laughs> yeah, because uh, half of them were half naked. Yeah. I saw that. <clears throat> this is the, the big love scene. Dan McFadden. And now it's Wexler. You say the big love scene? <laughs> <laughs> really? Wow. I think it's, it's actually the, the longest thing we have a, to a love scene in, in the movie, really. Um, Joe and, and Jill don't have anything quite this uh, involved in terms of a kiss or anything like that. You know, I, I wrote a screenplay that uh, a guy named Stuart Gordon directed. He's a very famous horror director, but it was called Stuck. And uh, it got remade in uh, Bollywood <laughs> as uh, Accident on Hill Road. And one of the taglines was, the longest kiss ever recorded. <laughs> they, don't, they don't kiss in India or something. I don't know. <laughs> well, that... That kiss looked really real to me. I, I wonder if these two got together during the film. That does happen on these shoots, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> Great reaction. Hey, calm down. It's just a joke. Let's talk about it ruining the mood. Severed arms will do that. Like Rick Moranis and Courtney Cox doing a. Who did the body parts? Did we rent those or? <laughs> they look pretty good, actually. Uh, rent rent a body part? Oh, you can. I mean, <laughs> forgot who did those. Uh, 
Yeah, whoever, who was our prop person? I don't remember. Well, wasn't it Tony Tremble? Tim Trimble. Tim? Tim Trimble. Tim Okay, yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. Trimble. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I believe, I believe you're yeah. right. I think I think he brought the the, yeah. the body parts. Well, I know on that scene where they were in the cabin with a with a fireplace, he did that. Um, I remember where was that shot? By the way, that cabin scene was that in the house or? It was on the property. Yeah. yeah. There is there was a smaller cabin on the property. Maybe that was where. I, yeah. I don't remember. I, I block certain things from my memory. Yeah, I, I remember that it was difficult to get the, the extension cords through the stove far enough to, <laughs> to reach it because there was no power in, in that little shack. So, yeah. And, and I do have to say the, uh, you know, the sound and dialogue recording actually in this movie is pretty good for a low budget movie. Chuck Binkley. That's was my the, old, uh, yeah, my old buddy, yeah. Chuck Binkley. We went to high school together and this was yeah. the first time he ever recorded for a film. Uh, yeah, I think it's helped by the fact that there's so much snow uh, on the property and it deadens all the noise um, that you would normally get, all the ambient noise. Well, something but, that uh, Mike and I notice in low-budget films is they always went cheap on sound. So it's really hard. You have to crank them up to hear anything or the music overrides the dialogue or whatever. So we were intent on not having that happen with this. Yeah, because I, I don't think we had wireless. This was all like a Sennheiser, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. yeah, it was all boom. Bruce Smith, uh, Bruce Smith was our boom operator. He did a really good job. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. there was no lobs at all, just boom. No. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, I don't recall any lobs. Yeah. Oh, by the way, that um, where he puts the fire out. Uh, the guy and they walk away and that big smoke and then goes Bernie. That was great. That looks so good. Yeah, I was going to ask the big smoke. How was that? Didn't look like well, it. when you kick no, when you kick snow onto a uh, hot uh, hot logs, oh. it it just kicks up a mountain of steam. So wow. all that was was natural and it was the only take we did. So it looked so good yeah you know in a lot of horror films they'll smoke up the whole area like in the trees and everything and like that would have been a lot of work for you guys to do but you have so much smoke in this movie already you don't need to, need to do that so it worked out good <laughs> yeah sally can you talk I, I think i think i know the story but why they changed the name from camper stamper well it was the british again but, you know, I'm not, I don't remember why specifically. It's always the British. I know. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> well, I thought it was because they didn't think they could, <laughs> they couldn't, sorry, they couldn't translate camper stamper in different yeah, languages. Yeah, that was part of it, yeah. And, you know, I don't speak any other language, so I had no basis you know, on which to judge it. And they were paying for the edit, so. Yeah. I was wondering how the British were involved. <laughs> yeah, they were the distributors, and they—I know they—they they cut it and they mixed it. And the the guy, the composer's name, great name for a composer, Daniel Pipes. Um, Douglas Pipes, or Doug, I'm sorry, Douglas Pipes, but I mean Pipes. That's what I'm going. <laughs> There's our, our our knife throw into the head, our low budget knife throw into great. the head. <laughs> <laughs> 
we were just panning, panning the camera, and uh, I would yell out to Axel, Alex, and and you're a hit, you know, so he <laughs> would react at the right time. Oh my god! These actors get to be warm for a scene. That's a really nice. That's beautiful. Amber yeah, Mike, Mike, doing this with like two lights, you know. I... <laughs> Mike, why don't you talk about you? I mean, you know, I, we'd be here like for five hours for your credits, but can you give us like, uh, you know, like a, some like an elevator pitch of your career? Yes, please. It's uh, pretty. It's pretty goddamn amazing. Yeah, uh, I'm very yeah, proud of my. I am deeply. Yeah, it's because you're yeah. My 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 career can be looked up on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, but you know it's 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 interesting revisiting a, a lot of these early movies that uh, that I shot um, kind of the early inspirations and and I mentioned this in my interview on on the other vinegar syndrome disc that um, it's important to preserve these these early inspirations of people who go on to do other things um, because in, in these in these movies you see the spark of where what took them to where they ultimately went and you know for me uh there's been very little change in the way that i approach uh, doing things you know when when i when i look at this movie i see my work on american horror story you know i see my work on on the remake of the town the dreaded sundown and and to a degree, I see the my work that I'm doing right now on on Netflix's uh, new Avatar: The Last Airbender. So, so you know, it's I think it's great that um, and important that we preserve these movies, uh, the performances, the, uh, the the contributions of the crew, so that these things aren't forgotten. So, Michael, how did you get your start? Was this something you always? you know, wanted to do and you did it, you know, filming around as a, in school or a child or what was your, what brought well, you to this path? Yeah, I mean, as a, as a child, I always loved movies. And when I was eight years old, entirely by accident, I saw the movie, The Graduate, because my parents thought they were taking <laughs> me to a cart cartoon matinee, but the matinee was over by the time we got there and the regular movie was The Graduate. And we didn't know what it was, but we stayed to watch it. and. I, I knew that uh, the movie, I didn't understand the movie, but I knew that the movie made me feel uh, things that uh, other movies like the Godzilla movies and stuff I was watching at the time didn't. And so I became obsessed initially with The Graduate and what they were doing with the camera and the lighting to make me feel the way that I did. And that led to an interest in making my own movies. So by the time I was eight years old, my parents got me a used eight millimeter film camera and I started making movies. And honestly, I just never stopped. Um, I remember vividly my mother asking me when I was eight, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I want to go to Hollywood and I want to make movies. And, and she said, well, then that's what you should do. Yeah. You know, so despite the fact that we were fairly poor, that I didn't have any money and stuff, uh, they never told me that I couldn't be a Hollywood filmmaker. Sorry, puppet, puppet theater, puppet theater. Yeah, here's the puppet theater. <laughs> Alert. <laughs> My dad is very odd imagination. 
See, yeah, the, like I said, I, I <laughs> yeah, Mike and I met at uh, Columbia College. We were both studying uh, filmmaking back. I think we met in '76. It was the year Daly died, and we made some really good little films there, you know. And that got me work on Tales from the Dark Side and some other stuff. But for me, I've 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 gone back to the thing I've always wanted to do, which is playwriting. And I just had a second play produced in Beverly Hills. And uh, hopefully a couple more this year. A lot of it got knocked down because of COVID. Mm -hmm. Oh, wait a minute. This this is, uh, sorry to interrupt you, John. This is my favorite moment in the movie <laughs> coming up here. <laughs> is where Neil gets the entire spear through his body. Yeah, that's great. Oh, he, he, he doesn't God. even throw it. <laughs> like criminal minds. <laughs> oh, so funny. It's all that's, all that, that's all editing. You know, it's the same thing as in, in Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, when Sean Bean gets all the arrows in his body and they just put in the arrow and they cut to him and he jerks and stuff. Same thing. That's amazing. God, I forgot how funny these two cops are. Why are they sitting on a rock like that? <laughs> The little one is. We, it's so weird. <laughs> oh. There he is. <clears throat> the big good finale. screen. Jill had a good screen. Wow, there's John Carpenter music. John Carpenter inspired music, yes. Well, inspired music, yes. Jill is Jill. She's like the lead of this movie. I had no idea. She's so good, and she looks so beautiful on camera. I, th I think I really do think it's more ensemble. I don't think there's because every yeah. everybody really contributes to this. Yeah. 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 She wins by default because she's still alive. If but crazy at the end. <laughs> right. Oh well, this would drive anyone crazy. Michael, congratulations. Like the... Oh, sorry. Sorry. I was just gonna say congratulations on your career as yeah. a filmmaker. And I hope that I hope to see you make some more feature films and actually direct them. And don't forget about your old friends. Yeah. <laughs> There's the actor coming yeah, out. We're out. We're out. out in the cold for you. No. I <laughs> never forget my actor friends. <laughs> well, I'm very inspired by you, Michael. So I, I I should study this on YouTube and uh, pick up some stuff. From well, this. I, I, you know, I'm I'm fascinated by the fact that you've been making your short films and you're trying to advance in in that arena, Kelly. So we should definitely talk further. I mean, I I work with a lot of uh, young filmmakers and I mentor a lot of people. They before COVID, they used to come to my house every weekend and, and watch movies in my home theater and, and we'd talk about, you know, what made those movies great or, and stuff. And, you know, I, I love to see people go forward and achieve things beyond, you know, what I've achieved. So. So Michael, well, didn't you mention that you're gonna be in uh, Denton, North Texas State? doing a, something that uh yeah possibly i mean things things are floating around a little bit my my next movie uh is is getting cast right now but there there's a couple of other projects floating around yeah and, and something around around denton was it was in the works too so it's all a little fluid right now um and the schedule on my current project is is a little fluid as well so that's affecting things but yes, 
<laughs> well, I mean, I'd love to, you know, see what you're doing when you're here, if you have time. Yeah, yeah, no, we definitely have to get together. Me. I mean, 30 minutes or so, but it's easy. Yeah, no, we definitely have to get together. John, what is your play called? that is uh, in well Bethesda. i've i've done two of them the first one was called uh, it was based on you know h.h H. holmes the first america's first serial killer uh he operated during the chicago world's fair in 1893 and supposedly killed either 200 people or no people you know but uh i did a play called villainy at, and uh, that was the first play the second play is called uh, death with benefits <laughs> And it's sort of like arsenic and all lace, but with more arsenic and less lace. I mean, oh, it's based on these true women out here. They were called, well, you, because you live out in LA, the, the, they were called the Black Widows or the Killer Grannies of Santa Monica. It's a, it's a true story. These two old ladies in their like uh, 70s, they would pick up these homeless guys, house them for two years, and then kill them for insurance money. But they were two grandmothers. <laughs> it's, just, it's just a crazy story, you know? So. Amazing. And the next play I hope to do is uh, based on um, Thomas Edison and Nikola Tesla. Uh, so we're going to have a reading for that in May. This is Myron and Susan who own the property. These are the owners. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And Sally, what are uh, what are you up to as as we uh, kind of get near the end of this? Oh, after Mike died, I decided I needed to go back into medicine just because I needed that steady work. <clears throat> um, I went back into the operating room about four years ago, a hospital, which is the City of Hope, um, decided to go to an electronic healthcare record program. And they wanted someone clinical from the operating room to be on the team. And that's what I do now is I work with Epic and all of the <laughs> different applications. Wow, that's admirable. Did yeah. you uh, end up having to do a lot of work with COVID patients or? Oh, it's City of Hope is a cancer research facility. Oh, okay. Wow. So we had cancer, we had COVID patients, but they were also our cancer patients. I see. We don't wow. have an emergency room or anything. Wow. Wait, I'm sorry. Did did Neil's character survive? Yes. From that through with the a, heart with a spear like, through. through the heart. Him. He's still alive. Yes. Wow. He's pretty good. Is is this, is this Mike's little Jimmy? You're always talking about. Yeah, this, right? I think so. Yeah. So. One thing I'll mention on this property, uh, when we were filming there, underneath a tree stump near the entrance to the property, I hid a can, of, uh, an empty can of Coca-Cola with a message and a dollar in it for whoever finds it. So I, it's probably still there unless they dug up the stump. Wow. <laughs> what do I need to, what the message say, or is it like hidden? Oh, I'm not gonna say, yeah. I know what it says. Right. Please Somebody kill doesn't. me now. <laughs> awesome. Get me movie. off this movie. <laughs> the the uh, Winter Creek Inn is a huge uh, resort now and a wedding destination. Oh. Huh. That's Wonderful. cool. Maybe, 
Maybe we'll have a uh, reunion there. Oh, Larry Coven. I know Larry Coven. Yeah, yeah he's he's from LA. Awesome. So, Jim well, this is this has been really great, and and I'm I'm glad uh, you know, Jolene and Kelly and and Sally and and John, we're we're able to get together. Um, you know, maybe maybe in 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 the next next release, if there is one, we we oh, get. Come on. Everybody else, you know, we can find some some of these these other people, um, especially some of the other actors. But uh, you know, I I think uh, we all agree that this has been a seminal uh, thing. This this movie and and the uh, the association we've had from this movie has been an important part of our lives and our careers. So it's great to meet up with you all again. Yeah, and Absolutely. definitely thanks to to Mike and Sally, you know, yes. for for doing this. Yeah. Yes, thank you so much. This was really fun, Michael. And um, thank you, Sally and may your husband rest in peace.